Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we are both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. Well, actually, I'm on my holes. You're just in your house. Yeah, but it's kind of like being on holes. It's it? a bit like being on holes. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little bit echoey because we're in a room without carpets this time. Yes. We're in Emma's bedroom. Yeah. You might hear some cars go past during the episode. Yes. If you're lucky, you might hear a seagull. Indeed. Um, you won't hear the sea because we're not that close to it. Um, yeah, I woke up hearing seagulls this morning, which is one of my favourite things. And we woke up and there was a dead seagull on the, on the street, wasn't also there? Also dead seagull, yes. Yeah. He wasn't making too much noise. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, Emma invited me and Mr. Gabby uh, to come and have a weekend in Margate. Yeah. And we have... What a weekend we've had. Oh, it's been lovely. Yeah. We had the sunshine yesterday. Yeah. Today we've got the traditional British seaside overcast. Yes. Rain's threatened. And of course, I've only brought shorts, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to have cold legs today. Yeah, but they're great legs, so you're okay. Oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> so today is part two of our conversation with Julia Bueno. Yes. Talking about miscarriage, yeah. um, baby loss, pregnancy loss, however you want to refer to it. Yeah, we got a lot of um, a lot of positive feedback after last week's episode. I think it's uh, it was a conversation that a lot of a lot of people appreciated hearing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think. I think it's a great one. It's a good to split it into, I think. It... Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think um, one thing that quite a lot of people said was that they, they liked the fact that we, or we, she acknowledged the fact that if you have a failed IVF round mm, yes. or even just trying and trying and trying and trying yeah. for a baby. The, the grief is, is valid too. Yeah, that grief is that, valid. That it yeah. lives in the family of, you know, baby loss. It, it's, it's in there. It is. So, yeah, so, you know, you, you can acknowledge your losses. Mm. Um, anyway, also, while we're talking about difficult stuff, um, we, a couple of episodes, maybe three episodes ago, I mentioned the fact that I had had, like, some kind of mental health issues during my infertility and that I'd had some, like, quite dark thoughts. And I got a lot of messages from people after that. 
Um, one thing that I wanted to mention is that if you're having the same thing, if you're like really struggling, there is a group called the British Infertility Counselling Association who provide for a small to large to be um, infertility counselling. They are specialists. Hmm. You can find their website at bica.net. Um, right. Also, you go to your GP, talk to them, tell them how you're feeling. Most clinics should have an infertility counsellor. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have someone who's trained. And like, I certainly had a counsellor who was trained in infertility counselling, who could really help me to understand what was going on with my body, but also what was going on in my head. So, um, just you know, worth absolutely considering. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That's all right, mate. Um. In slightly yeah. more happy news, yes. Um, the uh, you may have heard us talking uh, a number of times about um, a lady called Ariel, who has been in the process of launching something called Co-Fertility mm-hmm. for a while. We met her last year, and we were talking about her plans, and then I met up with her in New York. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and um, it's launched. Co-Fertility is live. Awesome. And basically, yeah, it's probably. Probably most useful for our American listeners um, because it has a lot of kind of related content in terms of like the grants that are available and the way to navigate insurance, etc. But it also it that basically the site is trying to answer fertility questions that everyone has. Yeah, and so there's lots of relevant content there for anyone who's going through this. Questions yeah. around male infertility, AMH, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's just it's really it's really nicely designed. It, it's very it user friendly, very good. And there's also a community element in it, so you can kind of ask questions. You can like meet like-minded people. So yeah, it's just um, it's a really great thing, and we are sure it's going to do very well. We are, and also she's not she's not even paying us to say this. She's not. She's not. <laughs> She's just a lovely woman who, yeah, is doing something great for the community and who is going through this herself, so yeah. understands implicitly the experience that we're having. So. Absolutely. So you get on there. Yeah. Um, what else? Did we need to say anything else? I don't think we did. Oh, Professor Tim. Oh, of course. He's talking about very seasonally appropriate thing. I believe so. Yeah, you do. Uh, antihistamines. Uh, we've had a few people write in to say that they have hay fever problems and they're not sure whether they can take antihistamines. Yeah. Um, I have a similar experience. We'll talk about that later. Um, so yeah, we just we put it to Prof Tim. Um, yeah. So he's talking about whether you can take it when you're doing IVF. Yeah. Or just in TTC. Yeah. Um, and that's really it. Other than to say, you can rate and review and subscribe and like and whatever else you want to do the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts you can indeed um you can oh can you hear some seagulls oh i think i heard some i did too yeah oh how atmospheric um you can follow us on instagram at big fat negative or you can follow us on facebook big fat negative or you can follow us on twitter at big fat negative or you can email us big fat negative podcast at gmail.com please enjoy the episode so we're joined again by Julia Bueno. Hello. Who... Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Morning. I mean, to be fair, there's been a five-minute break. 
<laughs> we should be honest here. Full transparency. Oh, I like the idea. Of... <laughs> we didn't make you tra- trek to Notting Hill again. Mm. Um, you. So you're the author of The Brink of Being, which is a book about talking about miscarriage. I might, I'm going to challenge you there. It is a book about talking about miscarriage, but had I had my way. Okay. <laughs> it might have had a different... I, I, be, I, I want people to think about miscarriage. I think that is the first step, just thinking about this before people, before you talk, before you mm. respond. Mm. Because I'm not in the business of telling anybody to, to, to say something or prescribe what to say or what to do. I, I think people, um, <laughs> I think people need to hear an authentic kind of response yeah. from somebody. So I, I just want that somebody to to think through what they feel about miscarriage, why they might have shied away from it, why they might find it difficult or awkward to talk about, and then, you know, then come to their own come to their own response. That makes sense to me. So we talked last week slash five minutes ago about <laughs> <laughs> the different types of miscarriage or baby loss. Yeah. That you, that you can experience. And I guess the language there again is like quite you know, is discussed a lot in the infertility community what's your preferred term gosh there's a question because miscarriage as you said last week is yeah don't blamey. like miscarriage it's quite blamey mm. uh, pregnancy loss um yeah um i'm pausing there because of course i i, I don't know i'm sorry i'm gonna mm. be come up not not gonna come up with a with a good enough answer for you a pregnancy loss doesn't suit everybody because that implies kind of loss like I've Mm. you know I've I've mislaid something Mm. and it means more than that um I think we just have to muddle around with words while tuning into what we're hearing from from the other um I didn't I, I personally pregnancy loss did better for me than than miscarriage fair enough um I one of the bits of your book that I, I enjoyed, well, not enjoyed, but I found quite comforting was that stories of miscarriage frequently kind of remind you of the courage of women. You mm. know, the things that the things that people are able to, mm. to continue Withstand. doing. And I think that's it's been in the news a couple of weeks ago mm. uh, with Stella Creasy, yeah. MP, talking about the things that she did during her miscarriages. Can you give us a little kind of example of, of, of the things that you've heard that, Gosh, well, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know where to kind of start or finish with that one because I think so many women, you, miscarriage doesn't discriminate, does it? I mean, it just, it can hit us driving a car, swimming in Tesco's in the middle of a presentation. I write about in the book, you know, I went for a wee 16 weeks pregnant before, literally before seeing a client in a consulting room and I was bleeding and I I knew my body well enough to know that this was the beginning of a miscarriage and I could feel some cramping I had no choice I had to go walk into the consulting room and sit there for 50 minutes and God. think I had a client after that as well but um so look, that's you know that's just one example but um so it, it, you know there's no kind of perfect timing for it and women uh, it, just crack on but there's also something about the shock mm. I think that we mm. we you know you don't necessarily compute that there's a miscarriage is happening or you might not you might want to deny it's happening or you 
you do know it's happening, but you're just so shocked you can't think straight. And that's what happens when we're in shock. You know, our th- threat system comes online in the brain and it scrambles our thinking. So um, y- y- that there's that to it. But also there's, I think, a reality that what, what do you do? Do you just put your hands up and go, sorry, guys, I'm having a miscarriage? Because there isn't that language there. There isn't that space there. You might say, whoa, I'm just thinking on my feet here, but... I'm really sorry, but I've got uh, food poisoning. I think I'm going to vomit everywhere. And people would make space and they'd go, yeah, "Yeah, sure. But, you know, if you were to say, look, I'm really sorry, I've got some cramping and I'm pregnant. I think I'm going a miscarriage. You know, people would be aghast, wouldn't they? They'd be flawed. Do you know what? I remember um, a few years ago, I mean, this must have been about 10 years ago, right, right when Twitter first started, there was a woman who tweeted, I'm in a board meeting or something like that. I'm in a meeting and I think I've just had a miscarriage. I'm so relieved. Right. Obviously, it was an it was an unwanted pregnancy, but the reaction to that was, "Oh, you're disgusting! How can you be so blasé? How can you?" And she really got absolutely like it was one of the first kind of Twitter storms. It's ringing a bell. Yeah. yeah. I just I don't know why I remember it so mm. well because it was way before I ever even right. thought I would want to be a mother. Mm. But I just remember thinking it was really unfair that this woman mm. who had had something happen to her that you know. Whether she wanted that pregnancy or not, mm. it's not very nice having a miscarriage. No. Um, that she was just being attacked Lambasted. in this way for being honest. Mm. But I guess that's what happens when you are that open about it. Yes. And uh, again, I think that just kind of shines a light on um, the individuality of pregnancy and and pregnancy loss and that's something that I really hope to kind of convey in my book that, yes, my book is is very much about the grief of miscarriage and the disenfranchised nature of that and the misunderstanding of that. And we've been talking a lot about the kind of heavy weight of grief that, that can flow in the wake of really early loss or unconceived loss. But I do hope to make space for the fact that, that you can, as you say, experience a miscarriage and maybe not you know, not experience a grief, but it be just a horrible, horrible visceral experience yeah. to go through. Um, and, you know, as, as I said, a miscarriage can involve tremendous blood loss and incredible pain. Um, and, you know, that is deserved of, of sympathy and compassion, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's a, it's a stupid thing, actually. No one, I've never even, or I, I never really thought about the fact that miscarriage would involve pain. Right. I just always thought, you know, it's, you lose a lot of blood, it's like a period. Well, I, I think that's uh, a, a, um, a time-honoured myth. I think that's mm. a story that gets passed down. And I have heard of a lot of women who have been told that by medics and otherwise, but some miscarriages can be and I have spoken to plenty of women who would describe it as actually it wasn't too bad it was like a really heavy period but even early miscarriages against that can be excruciating mm. Mm. um uh and you know that those are the stories I think I hear more of but then yeah. you know I would do because I I mean one we've talked a lot about the experience of a woman having a miscarriage but one of the things you also talk about in your book, of course, is the experience of a partner yeah. who is is also experiencing a miscarriage. Yeah. And and the kind of different ways that, um, specifically talking about men in this context, um, but also obviously that can be the same for lesbian couples, yeah. that they have to kind of show a, a kind of strong front and kind of uh, swallow their emotions. Yeah, and I think... 
Um, well, I talk, when, when I talk about that in the context of men, I contextualize that in the kind of culture that we're in. You know, I think it is changing and good old Prince Harry et al. <laughs> but I think it is fair to say that men do still feel a cultural pressure to be to be strong mm. and also a, a kind of they they lack reproductive narratives that that we have you know that they're not allowed that they're expected to be virile you know as soon as they reach puberty until they die you know that they, they can father kids and they're expected to be you know up for it and have to be able to have sex whenever they want you know it's very difficult for a man to be broody it's very difficult for a man to to have low sex drive it's very difficult for you know lots of kind of reproductive vulnerabilities for men to claim so i contextualize that you know for the, for the case of the the male partner um hello cat um <laughs> so you know, inappropriate not being allowed to not being allowed to be vulnerable in their reproductive lives but not being allowed to be vulnerable full stop but there is a reality that the the miscarriage is happening in a woman's a partner's body and that as we just said can be really painful mm. and really really scary to watch so a lot of partners do do have to step up and be strong and supportive yeah. because they might have to bundle you know in my case bundle me in a car and drive me to hospital or yeah because of nhs staffing might have to change your bedpan or your pad or your drip in my case literally um your partner changed your drip he did have to change a bag of drip once he with with some instruction um uh so so that you know all of that stacks up to making it very difficult for a man to be vulnerable on top of you know him sort of perhaps feeling Mm. that he's got to hold it together but the same applies to a female partner too. If it's not happening in her body, she's going to have to sort of step up and support her mm. partner. And I think with a female partner, um, my experience of working with lesbian couples is that because we expect women to be good at all of that, you know, we're we're you know we're good at talking and emotionally processing everything. That that lesbian partners can be left on that. Well, they'll you know they'll be good. They'll they'll get on with it together, so they can feel ignored for sort of slightly different reasons. Mm. There's, I mean, there's a um, there's a case study in your in the book of a couple, and the the other mother mm. keeps having to very gently remind mm. medics that you know she needs to be on the birth certificate. She needs to be. Yeah, uh, that must be very hard. I think it is, and I, I you know that 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 um, it's Maybe you guys have more of an experience in this. I think in, there are certainly the, some fertility clinics in London that I know that. That's just not the case at all because they're so used to treating same-sex couples Mm. um, and it's just very kind of normal. It's not a heteronormative space. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I can't account for the the vast range of the NHS at all, but just anecdotally, um, I don't think... I think it is a heteronormative space. I think, again, there there are moves to change that, but just in my experience of lesbian couples, they will... Pretty much every couple I've talked to will have encountered it along the way somewhere. They might have one enlightened Mm. midwife, but then the next day, you know, you meet so many people when you're pregnant, don't you? Uh So it's not uniform. But yeah, that can be, you know, really um, can only compound a kind of grief to be excluded in that way and not to. And this whole also idea about um, it not being kind of a, not being a genetic link somehow kind of having an effect on on that relationship which we know is a load of bollocks yeah which must be really hard yeah kind of just kind of pushed aside like that because it's not yeah well so does that mean if you're you adopt a child then you won't you Mm. know don't feel the same way i mean Mm. but but um and i also write about the other 
that that we still need a lot of more kind of research into the subject as well. So it's not not just sort of practice on the ground, but kind but funding and interest to kind of explore other ways of of you know other family other ways of building families and how other partners and family members are affected too. It comes down to empathy, really, doesn't it? Yeah, empathy and education. Oh yeah, go back to that. Um, So, one of the things you also say, which um, which is interesting, is that you know miscarriages give other women permission to talk about miscarriages, which is something that I've definitely experienced within you know my friendship group and and you were saying your mother as well. I wonder if if mothers don't maybe sometimes open up about that happening to them until it perhaps happens to their daughter. Well, that's that's an interesting one. I think um, that's something I have noticed with, you know, my mother's generation. Going back to this idea that and I'm a bit older than you guys, but my my mother's generation miscarriages were, you know, were in the dark ages. There, so they 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 just were not acknowledged, and so there wasn't. You know, the miscarriage association charity was set up in the early 80s mm-hmm. I could have got this wrong I think it was 84 you know it was only really in the late 70s early 80s after campaign work that this was sort of put on the map so prior to that there's a whole kind of generations of women who who just had all of this going kind to of push down to the carpet so yes I've been noticing and since I've been talking to that as you say, that that women are coming, are re, kind of rekindling experiences and re, rethinking about what they went through through their through their daughters' experiences, mm. and um, you know, I'm, that's a good. I think that's a, a good thing, although a painful thing. Um, but the kind of miscarriage stories beget mister miscarriage stories. I think there's something about you know, there's a safety in that because it's not, you know, as we come back to a normalized conversation there aren't these well-oiled root, uh, roots of conversations that um there's a, such an awkwardness about talking about about our infertility and miscarriage mm. but as soon as somebody has revealed that oh we know oh, that's safe it's safe okay. ground now i can talk about it um but we don't have that permission yet in mm. normal society because you know that it's it's just not there yet. Um, yeah, you actually, you give an example of the, the Nepalese Tamang women um, <laughs> about, you know, when when you ask them about their children, they'll often uh, list their living children and also yeah. the ones that they lost. Yeah. Do you... I, I mean, I, I have to fess up, of course, I, I, this is sort of secondhand knowledge. I, I read this from an anthropological research. So I, I just, you know, I wish I'd actually been there and talked to the Tamang <laughs> women. But um, according to this anthropologist, um, they have this this tremendous ease about talking about their reproductive lives and mm. their family life includes those babies that didn't make it. And they'll just talk about it like they talk about their children. It's sort of like like what we had for breakfast today, my banana and marmite. Mm. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. That that's my personal belief and that that's what I would love to reach to a world where we can just have an ease about it but I think would would our our culture be able to handle it do you think that kind of brutal honesty well I I wouldn't I don't know I don't know Mm. but let's hope I suppose with time let's hope we can just keep chipping away um and broadening it out from the ease that we have I, I think I make some loose analogy between the sort of tamang and the kind of online communities. I know they're not they're not wholly um, 
Elysian fields and that you know you can have trolling and some discomfort there but the ease with which the pregnancy loss community talk with each other just just branching that out I do you know I can only reflect on my my lifetime of this which has been 16 17 years Mm. and there's it's a world of difference it really is um and I reflect on that you know I know if I had my if I'd gone through the birth of my twins tomorrow I would have had a very different experience I don't think it by no stretch would it have been perfect and everyone everyone would have understood but I do think I would have had an easier ride I mean you you talk about the fact that as a culture we make it we don't make miscarriage easy to remember and, mm. and you know that there's space to create kind of rituals we've got rituals around birth we've mm. got rituals around marriage mm. we've got rituals around death we don't have rituals around these kind of well it's almost in between isn't it yeah well I was going to say these I was going to say half lives but that's not what it is because they were little lives but you know but they were little lives um do you think those rituals are beginning to establish themselves? I think I, I, I think they are, actually. I mean, I certainly, again, anecdotally, get the sense that more and more women and couples are turning to rituals. Again, it's like with the naming, when you were asking about that to kind of cap their experience of a little life that came into their family and then left and to mark that existence and to make it a part of the family narrative, to put it on the family tree, if you like, metaphorically or, or otherwise. Um and those rituals sort of cap that experience, and they they're they're so they are so important to us. I mean, they, we have, as you say, we have them in so many different kind of realms to mark a transition, to mark a you know, they mark a a, a difference between what was then and and, and the future. Mm. So um, they're psychologically and socially really important. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes, I'm seeing them more, but. But they are also happening more and more in hospitals, going back to protocols that are coming into place. Um, and this very much depends on the, the funding. Um, you might have a hospital that has very little funding and can offer a couple, um, not many options, but might well offer, say, a, a, a shared cremation. But there is a big, well-funded hospital in central London that has a huge charitable fund that will be able to offer a family, a, a couple, a family, a, a kind of range of options about how they want to rich, if they if they want to, and how they want to ritualize their their loss. So, uh, so the rituals are happening and mm. happening more in hospitals. Again, you know, I write about this in my book. Nobody asked me. My my one of my miscarriages was a uh, involved having a evacuation of retained products of conception that that phrase which I think lovely phrase we love that which is I think again being eased out but nobody asked me what 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 was going to happen to my baby when it was removed from me I mean I kind of woke up from it having no idea I've got a pretty good idea what happened to it It it's put in the sluice but um uh and I didn't think anything of it because I, I just didn't think to ask but that 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 won't happen now if all goes well I'm not I can't say definitively, um, but the protocols are changing where, you know, you will be offered a ritual. What would you like to happen to your baby's body's body when it's when it's been taken mm. out of you? And there's there's a kind of move towards encouraging those who've had late pregnancy losses mm. or who've had stillbirths yeah. to spend a bit of time with absolutely. their babies. Absolutely, absolutely. And to, and to spend time and forge forge memories and to have an opportunity to parent, to 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 mother that baby and father that baby, mm-hmm. um, I think that's absolutely crucial to 
to um, well, each to their own, of course. But just again, we know we know this from the research, and just, so it isn't just my experience that it's really crucial for for a, for a couple to to grieve as best they can. To to again, it goes back to acknowledge that this baby existed and. Mm. To, to forge memories and capture memories, to, to take photos and spend time with that baby. That baby might well have looked like you. I didn't meet my babies, my mother did. And um, it's lovely to know that, you know, one looked like me and one looked like the dad. Mm. Really? But that's what she says. <laughs> yeah, you talk about um, something called the Little Things and Co. Yes. Um, which sounded one like d- a really lovely thing for someone to have thought of. Yeah, um, she's not alone, actually, but there are other um, people out there who are volunteering to um, make clothes for babies to be dressed in um, uh, after a a kind of late miscarriage. And actually, kind of even early on that that little things in code, they make um, before a baby can be put into clothes because they might not have developed arms and legs to have little um, envelopes or kind of pockets or that, that are um, made and supplied to hospitals. It's all done for free. She's got a kind of army of people who do this. There's another company that make them from um, old wedding dresses, I believe. But just so much kind of love and labour gone into kind of providing this. And, it, uh, um, and a lot of people find this course just it's about dignity as well Mm -hmm. um my babies were not dressed um so you know they they went to their cremation undressed which is you know not an easy memory for me and certainly kind of really really difficult for for a lot of couples to 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 to, um countenance so can we move on to when you're talking to somebody who has experienced a loss because, you know, we, we, we talk to people every day who experience losses. And every now and then there's a moment where I just think, God, you've had the, such a horrible time. I actually don't know what to say. Um, what I mean, one of the things that you say, we should be curious to discover the meaning of a miscarriage for yeah. the bereaved. Um, gosh, should I say Should. I'd like to be a bit more. You might not have said shit. That might be. Well, I, I just, I go back to this idea time and again that that, in my experience, when I hear stories of miscarriage, and you asked me um, in the first podcast last week, five minutes ago, (laughs) about to tell me about the story of my first miscarriage, and I didn't. I began, and I had to kind of edit it because. Because actually, if I wanted to, the story would be much, much longer. But I started with, I met my husband when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I fell in love. And then, you know, 10 years later, we began to think about that baby in mind began. And that baby was in our mind for a year. So the story of a miscarriage isn't just I bled lots and it was really agonizing. And then, you know, a a tiny embryo or a baby came out of me. the, The story of a miscarriage in my experience, always starts with with the conception and the trying to conceive and when it began, when that baby began. Um, so, uh, and I think that in sharing a story of a miscarriage, be, that, that's really helpful to begin there. So that that's where the curiosity comes in. Tell me, tell me about about your baby that you lost. And it might be that she she or he will say well, you know, we ended up in a and it was bloody awful. We'll go uh-huh. with that. Mm. But it might be, well, 
we were trying for three years and then we went to have three rounds of IVF. And then, you know, and this is where you you guys know. So I think by being curious about the whole story, yeah. you learn the weight of the of, of the loss and going back to the weight of the grief and what that meant. It isn't just reduced to, I had a miscarriage. And if your friend comes up to you and says, I've had a really shit week, I actually had a pregnancy loss this week mm. it was I was nine weeks mm. I hadn't told anyone mm. what should you what is the what how should you react you know that the instinct I would imagine for a lot of people is to go oh at least it was early which is not the right thing to say. Yeah, at least. At I'm, least you can get pregnant. I'm I'm really so much more on surer ground about what not to say yeah, than, what, than what to say. Yeah. Um, so, but, but I'll be a good girl and try and <laughs> stick, stick with the, what you should say. The at least I think it's fair. Anything that begins with the word at least. I, you know, don't assume, anyway, I'm drifting off until not what to say, but I think it's safe to, to start on the basis that you know, I'm so sorry, that's a shitty thing to happen, isn't it? Even if, going back to society, even if it wasn't a major grief for you, maybe you hadn't attached to the baby, maybe it was a relief, like the woman on Twitter said, mm-hmm. but it's still a really shitty thing to happen, yeah. um, which might well have had a lot of blood and pain and shock, and it was really inconvenient because I was in a meeting or whatever. So to start with that as an opener, I'm so sorry, tell me about it. You know, and I think it's okay to be ignorant. Look, I, I, I want to know. Um, forgive me, I don't know about what the, what this meant for you, and I really want to know. Isn't that that isn't that sort of a safe a safe opener? Um, yeah, I think. I suppose when you know, you might not feel like people want to know the details, so you never get an opportunity to say them. So by inviting them to share whatever they want to share. Is, is surely a, it's a very it's a kind thing to do is to let them have that permission yeah. to, to say what happened. Yeah, and also I suppose as against that, be realistic. If you know in yourself that you're going to faint if they start talking about blood, then you might not want to sort of you, you know, be honest. You know, say, look, I'm just going to warn you. I'm really sorry, but I whatever. But you know, you've got to look off. That I suppose what I'm guarding against is also opening up a conversation that you can't handle and that you're going to freak out and you're mm-hmm. going to end up being awkward about. Yeah. So this goes back to my plug for my book. No, mm-hmm. but just getting people to think about just to think about what they feel about it and what might be corrupting their compassion, understanding, sympathy. Um, and I'm going to kind of backtrack as well, because sort of thinking on my feet here, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's not just about the words. I can think about a couple of really clumsy comments that were made to me. That if said in, if it's said in the abstract, think, oh, bloody hell. But actually they were said with such love yeah. and such compassion. And I could see on their face that they just really, really just wanted to get it right and didn't. And that meant to me the world as opposed to a wooden, I'm really sorry. Yeah. You know, gosh, that must be really horrid. Not that people talk like robots, but you can tell there's a sort <laughs> mm. of inauthentic yeah. lack of empathy. So sometimes it might be maybe not even if, you, if you're struggling with the words you know I'm so sorry and a hug I'm so sorry and a plant being sent to them or a box of chocolates or a thinking of you this must be a really shitty time 
And then, you know, how important is it to continue to acknowledge the existence of that? I think it's important. I really do. Because, you you know, you might learn that you've hit a wrong note and it's sort of they don't want to talk about it anymore and actually it's dealt with. But going back to this idea of of miscarriage can often be a profound loss that lasts and that that maybe an eight-week a miscarriage eight week was named and memorialized online somewhere privately because we can't do it publicly because it will be weirded out yeah but just to kind of keep that alive mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people who um who who would really value i, I certainly do i'm distracted but you know value that 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 the family that they're presented with also included babies that didn't make it and and that somehow being nodded towards yeah mm-hmm. okay well i feel like we've um reached a natural conclusion here <laughs> do you reckon yeah yeah um julia you've given us two weeks worth of content <laughs> we've, we've, yeah we've kept you here we've kept you here prisoner for very yeah. long can time. i be unlocked now yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us thank, thank you, you so much for having yeah. me it's yeah. been a real pleasure and where can we get your book you can oh. get your book in uh all good bookshops yeah <laughs> although i have to say i i'm going to admit to that authorial narcissism of just nipping into waterstones in, Not- in notting hill gate to see if my book was there and it wasn't, oh, they, wasn't. it had just it there, there was the copy had been they had one copy that we saw but it, i was reassured there were some copies in kensington high street and piccadilly <laughs> and others so um they don't and, have a great like parenting and fertility section in there oh well there you go they're rubbish very disappointing no. every stage of my TTC journey oh well journey. there you go you don't want to go there at all okay, anyway and um yeah and, and online of course I think on the Virago website itself I like to yeah. point people towards well it's a great um, book thank you so much so thank you for writing it I think it's I think it's important yeah oh, well I'm I'm really honoured that you took such close attention to it and thank you we loved it I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd one to pitch. I know all the way through we've just gone. Yeah, I really enjoy. I mean, I don't, I didn't enjoy it. No, but anyway, thank you for joining us, Julia. Thank you, thank, thank you. you for having me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now it's time for... I guess. What the F? What the F? Oh, we're talking about antihistamines. We are. Please relate your troubles. <laughs> so I have... Uh, sinus issues and have had for quite some time uh i think it's been it's not, it hasn't quite been diagnosed but i think it might be something called non-allergic rhinitis so it's it's not hay fever it's kind of all year round which is great for me my sister has that does she she sneezes all the time it drives me fucking insane yeah sorry yeah. sophie i i mean i drive people i work with nuts people have stopped saying bless you completely do you know what i mean like you can't say that 20 million times a day you don't annoy me though my sister really annoys me, so how's that? Oh, well, I think certain times of the day it's worse, so I don't really see you. In the evenings, I'm fine. Okay. Morning times, and during the day at work, or maybe I'm just allergic to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get it pretty bad. And, um, yeah, it's been worse since I've been pregnant. Okay. And I have kind of looked into cursory i've had a cursory look at whether you can take antihistamines and it seems to be kind of like mm, yeah not sure yeah maybe don't kind of thing and this is an issue like if you're pregnant but also if you're trying to trying for a baby and yeah you're, exactly if like, you're taking IVF any sort or... of medication during yeah. this whole process you're kind of like is it okay yeah should i do it um so so yeah we kind of thought we'd put it to press tim as i say some some listeners have written in as well with the same problem so yeah we thought we'd ask him. Cool. And here's what he had to say. So antihistamines, there's obviously quite a number of them. And so it's difficult one to answer this one. The safest thing always, clearly, is going to be to have a look on the, the drug information leaflet that will be inside the box that the antihistamine came with, or to speak to a pharmacist. The, you know, the pharmacists obviously are really fully aware of risk of taking drugs when trying to conceive um, or, or in early pregnancy. If you are worried about it, then the sort of the nasal spray antihistamines, there's much less of that is absorbed into the body compared to antihistamine tablets. But in general, there's not a problem um, taking the, using these drugs, but because of the wide range of them, as I said, it's safest just to check. Thanks for us, Tim. Gabriella, how are you? I am well. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, what's been happening? Um, so, last time we spoke, I was about to go to the doctor for uh, an undisclosed reason. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically I went along the next morning and um, it was quite funny because I, I was sitting in the waiting room and there were lots of heavily pregnant women there and, and mm. me, which I think... Feels so great, doesn't it? Yeah, it was weird. I've got some serious imposter syndrome, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and... Yeah, went into the doctor's room and she was like, hi, so, um, so hopefully you'll be able to tell us why you're here because we can't work it out. What? <laughs> yeah. She had my notes and she was like, yeah, we've looked at your notes. We're not really sure why this appointment has, has been put here. So, and I was like, uh, I think it might be something to do with IVF. And she was like, oh yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, you've done IVF. Right. Okay. And then she was just like, why did you do IVF? And I was like. My husband's sperm isn't great. She was like, nothing wrong with you? And I was like, not that I know of. And she was like, right, okay, well, then in that case, I think everything looks to be fine. There's no reason to treat this pregnancy any differently. 
um that's Good. it and I was like oh okay sometimes you just want to be made to feel like a special princess <laughs> yeah what do you mean I'm not special <laughs> um but um so that was fine like whatever but she also they did a um urine sample to make sure that my urine bug had gone oh, yeah. and it had oh good and then also um they did listen to the heartbeat with one of those doppler machines which is really cool yeah i was quite happy about it because i was as discussed i had kind of a bit freaked out and kind of wanted to scan but didn't want to scam the scan yeah you know what i mean yeah um so yeah i was satisfied with listening to the heartbeat it was quite nice but she did say she was like, oh, there's a chance we won't be able to hear anything. And, you know, if we can't, it's probably because of the position of the baby. And I don't want you to freak out. And I was like, mate, there is no <laughs> chance in hell that I am not going to freak out if we can't hear the heartbeat. Like, that is not going to be a calm situation. Yeah. And my husband was uh, travelling for work at the time. So the minute she said that, my brain was like, okay, what am I going to do if there's no heartbeat? Who am I going to call? What am, like, how am I going to get through the day if this is the case and yeah obviously two, 10 seconds later it was all fine because oh we could hear God. it I know sometimes like many freakouts. yeah um so yeah that was that was that really and um other than that yeah my my kind of imposter syndrome has been quite funny like I can't I can't wear a badge on the tube I feel very uncomfortable just because I don't feel like I look pregnant and I don't think I don't know I just feel weird about it and um, we went for some treatments yesterday, didn't we? We did, and it was lovely. Yeah, and I had a pregnancy massage. And again, it was kind of all set up for properly pregnant women, do you know what I mean? Well, she she did come and say, she she basically came up to me and was like, I'll be doing you. And I was like, for a pedicure? And she was like, no, oh no. I was like, you're doing my mate. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I'm pregnant too. It's uh, it is a hard period though. Like I found it really hard at that point, the imposter syndrome. Mm. Because, it, and especially when you're going to the antenatal clinic, I don't understand why everybody at the antenatal clinic is so heavily pregnant. Like, why are there not normal people there? Who yeah, are, like, I don't in know. their first and second trimester. Yeah. Or do people just show really early, and you and I happen to not? I, no, I don't know. I think it's just. I reckon you probably have more appointments when you're that heavily pregnant yeah right? and yeah. so the chances of having people who are in the early stages uh is kind of less i guess i don't know fucking hell but it was me in a room full of quite heavily pregnant people so i was just a bit like oh god um and yeah so the the massage the pregnancy massage um she was like okay so this pillow goes under your bump and i was kind of like well yeah because we really need that because i've got a huge bump obviously <laughs> not i just felt like i don't know it was weird but it was a nice massage. It was a lovely massage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I think I probably could have just had a normal massage, though. Yeah, maybe, but, you know, you, you don't want to, like, get pressed in the wrong places. Like, no. Because we tried to book a pedicure a few weeks ago, didn't we? Because, mm. you know, we're, we're those kinds of people. We just go for we're treatments. Just treats. All the time. I don't go for fucking treatments I never go ever. for treatments. <laughs> I was so awkward getting this massage. I didn't yeah. know. I was like, do I take all my clothes off? What do I do? I've never done this before. I find it really awkward as well. But we tried to book a pedicure and they were like, oh. And this is a really funny conversation because um, I, I booked it and then they were like, oh, do you have any kind of medical requirements, any medical needs? And I was like, well, we're both pregnant. And she was like, oh, how pregnant are you? And she, I was like, oh. I think at that point you were about 11 weeks or 10 weeks or something. 10 weeks, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, and I was whatever. 
And um, she was like, oh, we can't do it before 12 weeks. And I was like, why not? And she was like, oh, there are pressure points that will could cause could induce labour. And I was like, but I don't want labour induced either. Mm, but weird. It was really weird. But yeah, so... Yeah. So it was good to have a pregnancy massage yeah, rather than so. just any old massage. Yeah. But I did feel a bit like I needed a much bigger bump to have a, a valid reason to be there, if you know what I mean. Mm, the imposter syndrome is horrible. Yeah. But it's fine. It's not, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But I am getting like seeing my friends and they're like, oh, I thought you'd be more pregnant. Like, you don't look pregnant. I'm kind of like, don't oh, say that. Because it goes into my brain and I think I'm not pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, what if there isn't anything in there? Oh, there God. Is, yeah. There is. You've had the heartbeat. Yeah. But yeah, I spent the whole of my first and most of my second trimesters being like, someone's going to jump up, up out at me and tell me it's all a big joke. Yeah. Be like, ta-da! Yeah, you're like, lol, you fell for it, you fool. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I still feel a bit like that. Yeah. I've got a big old bump. You do have a big old bump now. So, um, adding to the imposter syndrome thing is the fact that all of the, my app, the books I've got, everything is like, you should maybe start to feel kicks around now, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, look out for a little flutter, blah, blah, blah. Um, and my auntie was like, oh, when you get to 16 weeks, like you'll be able to feel the baby kick, like text me when you do. And, uh, basically I haven't felt anything yet. And it's possibly because I have what they call an anterior placenta, which is what you had, Mm -hmm. Emma. And it's the placenta at the front, not the back, which means that if the baby's kicking, it's kicking the placenta. So you can't really feel it. Yeah. So they say that it it could be up to like what twenty twenty five weeks twenty five weeks before I feel told. anything. I was twenty one, twenty two, I think. Which is a bit just disappointing, really. I'm just like it that would really help if I could feel something. Well, I was saying to you that when um when we recorded, like it, a lot of people won't have listened to the pregnancy special, but when we recorded that, we had um Cat and Roma, and they I think Roma was about eighteen weeks. Cat was a little bit further, wasn't yeah. she? And they were both saying, oh, yeah, it's, it's really um, it's really nice that we can feel kicks now. We find it really reassuring. And then I was about 12, 13 weeks. And I was just like in my head, like, I'm not going to feel kicks for ages. And I was like quite jealous of them. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, it, was, it must have been about 22 weeks before I felt it. And it is like a bit, it's not. It's a bit disappointing. Yeah. I think it's that reassurance that you do, you're just not going to get that yeah. for a while. I'd quite like that now. Yeah. But. But you'll get it eventually. It's not the end it's of just a bit more yeah. of a wait. The thing is that like well, one thing we're good at is waiting. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Very good at waiting. Yeah. And just, you know, I'm just like putting aside the fucking little voice and the fears and just being like look no I have all evidence all other evidence suggests I'm still pregnant like yeah. it's fine yeah exactly it is fine scary shit though I know mm. uh, uh, speaking of which mate how are uh, you no wait mate wait 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 what, you're what, what? 16 weeks oh what yep it's present time <gasps> just gonna get up and get the present listeners you are Thank too you. much <gasps> Yay! <laughs> I love it! Um, it's not the best surprise this time because I told you I was buying it. <laughs> and you know how much it cost. But I love it. I accidentally bought two of the same top from Topshop. 
How did you buy two of the same top? Just a slip of the finger on the Added them to both to the basket? I don't know. (laughs) But um, but it's a cool top. It's a really nice um, kind of pale blush pink shirt. Yeah, um, shirty jackety thing. Like it's it's short sleeved. Yeah, I really like it. I think it's gorgeous. I'm not sure about the buttons. They're a bit weird and lumpy. They're a bit wabby sabby. Yeah. They look like bees. The letter B. They do look like bees. Yeah. Or a an embryo <laughs> oh <laughs> appropriate <laughs> yeah so um happy 16 weeks thank you that's very kind you are too kind she's too good to me guys she's too good to me well, you know somebody sent me brownies the other day because she well she said that i'm i'm not the only one that gives gifts oh liz thank you thank you um they were really delicious i didn't share them oh i feel very spoiled put it that way Good. Um, as as to your question, yes. How are you? I'm fine. I'm. So we've now in our NCT group had five babies, Ooh. and I've got to say, I'm starting to think about having a baby. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm not thinking about what has passed. I'm thinking about what is to come. I'm very jealous of the people who've had babies. Mm. Like I'm, I'm. It's the same feeling of jealousy. Only, I know I'm getting a baby at the end. So it's kind of all right. Yeah, it's like it's like the um, infertility MB, only it's, it's very high likelihood that there will be actually be a baby. Afterwards. Yeah, so it's only a pang of jealousy rather than a deep-seated yeah. hatred. Yeah. And so, remind us, um, your NCT group are all a month ahead of you, right? Yeah, they're all about a month ahead of me. So I've got another... So that's why that's happening. Yeah, so I've got four working days by the time this goes out i'll have two working days until i go on maternity leave um my mum you were here yesterday when my mum brought round a fucking haul of stuff like little cardigans little baby grows and blankets all that kind of stuff which is really great because it means i don't have to go and buy it Mm. which is really great because i still freak out at the prospect of buying baby stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, freak the fuck out. Um, so she bought all this stuff and it was, like, so generous and so nice. It was, it was great fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, all this tiny baby stuff. Um, and then uh, the other thing that happened is, as discussed last week, we were thinking about packing my hospital bag. Yes. Did we discuss that? We did discuss Yeah, we did, that. yeah, yeah. Um, and so... One of the things that they say you have to take is maternity pads. Oh, yeah, that was funny. And I just went and stood in Sainsbury's and looked at, like, all the stuff. Do they have specific maternity pads? I couldn't see anything that said maternity pad on it. All I could see is tenor lady. Mm. And the, I'm sorry, but it just has connotations that I'm not prepared to buy into right now. So, but then I've been getting all the birth stories off the NCT ladies, and fuck me. It's like... You need some kind of very seriously absorbent... You should ask them what what brand they went for. Well, they just said they went on Amazon and bought stuff. Mm. But it's great that I'm thinking about this stuff. Like, I'm thinking about, you know, like, stuff that normal pregnant people think about. Yes, finally. Yeah, finally. And it's really, like, exciting. And I am am now so excited about meeting this little thing Mm. that's, like, wriggling around so much all the time. Yeah. Which I love. And it's just so calming and, like, reassuring. Yeah. Also a bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. We're okay with that. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess in summary, I'm excited. I'm a little jealous of the NCT ladies. Yeah. I'm a little overwhelmed by like the things we still have to buy and the preparations we still have to make. Although somebody had pointed out to me that Amazon will still exist after I give birth. And very conveniently. Yes, exactly. Say, yeah. and, and shops will still be open. Yes. It's not Christmas Day. It's not Christmas Day. That'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will be you. Um, so, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm beginning to allow myself to get excited. Good. I guess that's... Yeah. That's it. And, um, and that's a really nice feeling. basically did IVF as a single lady yeah but um yeah so she's she's written a book actually about um having a baby by herself yeah and actually do baby um and yeah we had a really nice chat with her yes we did please enjoy that yeah absolutely have a good week guys bye on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.